Philly Mets fans, welcome to episode 211 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, thanks for joining us for another episode. We have uh, a returning friend later in the show, but first, Chris McShane and I talk about Neil Walker accepting the Mets qualifying offer, Tim Tuffle departing the third base coach job, and we answer your emails. Last time we spoke, we had spoken right before Neil Walker was due to accept or reject his qualifying offer from the Mets, along with technically Ioannis Cespedes as well. But um, as you probably could have guessed, Cespedes declined it. But in somewhat of a surprising move, although not shocking, uh, Neil Walker accepted his qualifying offer. So Chris, uh, we talked about this last time, how we would be comfortable giving him a multiple-year contract but isn't this sort of the best possible scenario for the Mets? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm thrilled that he's going to be back. Yeah, and I'm thrilled he's back on a one-year deal, too. Yeah, I mean, it's – I would have – like we said last week, I would have been comfortable with more, but I think somehow – and maybe it's just the fact that his season was overshadowed by what Murphy did for the Nationals, but – I get it. I get the inclination to make that comparison because obviously Murphy was somebody who the Mets could have had on this team uh, if they, you know, basically did what the Nationals did. So I get the inclination to make the comparison. But if you look at second baseman and you look at what Walker gave the Mets, it's really, really good. Um, Yeah. You know, by a few measures, you know, war isn't the – only thing that matters, but he had his best season despite only playing in 113 games. So what he gave the Mets was really good. I don't know if the stuff that, you know, his production against um, left-handed pitching kind of came out of nowhere. I don't know if that is something that sticks, but, you know, all in all, this is this is really good news for the Mets, you know, and I think the thing that I, I, I keep saying it, He's plan A at second base now. Right. And I know they have plans B, C, D, E, and F at the position. Uh, You know, there's plenty of guys on the roster and in in the upper minors who could conceivably play there and maybe hack it. But, man, I'm much more comfortable with Neil Walker going out there and, and being the starter. And if the back injury turns out to be a problem or... You know, if he isn't quite as good next year as he was this year, that's okay. Yeah, you know, um, there's a, a phrase that floats around baseball where there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. And I think that, that this is like the definition of that. If this is a bust, yeah, they're out $17.2 million, which isn't nothing, and especially for the Wilpons, isn't nothing. But this is a risk that is very very light if you ask me you know if he has a bad year or he's too hurt to play much that's a bummer it doesn't really handcuff you at all um like you said there's lots of backups there and the more i think about this the more i like it because and it it absolutely breaks my heart to say this we don't know if david wright is going to be a baseball player anymore like yes he'll be on the mets but we don't know if he's going to be Anything, he's even going to be a shell of what he was. And so, if you were counting on Reyes to play a lot of second base because Walker was going to be gone, then that begs the question of who's going to play third base. You know, maybe Flores, maybe um, 
you know, insert quad A player here. But to have Reyes and Flores essentially each be the plan B player for Walker and Wright respectively, that just it, it just adds so much depth to the team. And uh, you know, the the team did very well this year with injuries, but to have to have sorry, did very well this year despite of all the injuries they had to build for that contingency with such depth in the middle infield and the corner infield is uh is a very very good thing. So I am 100% in favor of this qualifying offer being accepted. Yeah, and I think you know, I've seen a little bit of apprehension about it from people who think that oh, 17 million that might prevent them from signing Cespedes, but you know, I think when you look at any top end free agent like Cespedes, it's not necessarily, and, and certainly the Mets showed uh, in the 2016 season that, that committing to that one year at a really high salary was something they'd be willing to do. Mm-hmm. So I don't think Walker's $17 million makes a big difference in terms of whether or not Cespedes can stick around. I think that has much more to do with the number of years and the overall dollars that are required. Absolutely. Where, you know, it, it, it's very easy to account for his money. And if they come to terms on a long-term deal, obviously last winter they gave him a lot of money up front. You know, it was I think it was $27 million overall, 10 yeah. of which was uh, sort of, uh, you know, was like it a bonus a or whatever. Bonus, yeah. yeah, so... You know, maybe they structure the Cespedes deal a little bit differently, but I, I really can't imagine that one thing would have that much of an impact on the other. Um, you know, this is a team that has gone to the postseason twice in a row, you know, once obviously going much, much deeper into it, but I don't know. I, <laughs> no, I, I agree. I, I we, think we got to wait until we see it to believe it, I, I th- which is. Totally fair after the way the last decade has gone. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, if you're worried about Walker knocking them out on Cespedes, I think that's probably a little bit, I don't know, a little bit too far. Yeah, I, I think that just, you know, you hope that the Mets aren't in that position. But on top of that, it would have been very easy for them to not extend a qualifying offer to Walker if they thought we really can't afford him to take it. Yes, yeah. you yes you get the draft pick compensation there, but but if they were really worried about the financial the financial commitment of the qualifying offer to Walker, they just wouldn't have made that deal. They they wouldn't have even put it out there. So I can't be that worried about it. I think it's gonna be fine. I think it's a good move. Welcome back, Neil Walker. I know uh, I know he's very much a Pittsburgh guy. It just you know it's where he's from, where he played, but he seemed to react very well to New York, and uh, I'm happy to have him on my team. Yeah, so, welcome back, Neil Walker. Uh, we have a couple of emails from you guys. Uh, keep emailing the show podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. First up, we have an email from Brad. What does Conforto bring in a trade? Bring in as a trading chip? Personally, I believe he has the highest return of any of the Mets as a present but I'm not sold on his true potential. Would he be able to be packaged for an MLB starting catcher? As an aside, why is everyone so high on Travis Darno? Um, Which part of that you want to take first, Chris? Who's high on 
Travis Darnell, unless it's directed at us. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I'm just the the wording of it is everyone, and I feel like one of the only Darno defenders out there. Uh, I think everybody was high on Darno a year or two ago. Yeah, well, a year ago, why wouldn't you be? You know, it, the injury concern has always been there, but a year ago, this is a guy who came back and just raked. I mean, he was he was excellent as a hitter. Yeah. Um. But then, and, and he he had a good. You know, postseason too. Yeah, which is supposed to be the kind of thing that makes you, it, or you know, I was about to say this, but as I'm thinking about it, maybe it's not exactly true. What I was going to say is that a good postseason is the type of thing that is supposed to make you immune to other criticism. But I don't think it necessarily works that way. Uh, and we, you know, maybe we saw it with Beltron. Uh, yeah, that. Postseason success sort of gets treated like it can spoil you in a way. Well, yeah, yeah. There's there's that, and then there, but it's almost like oh, congratulations, you were good in the postseason. You're supposed to be. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, that's like fair. people. It's sort of like oh yeah, great, great job. That that's nice. Now go do it for a full season. But if you do it for a full season and you fail in the postseason, then you're then in. all of a sudden you're this weak person who yeah. can't handle the postseason pressure. I think there's very much a double standard there that, that yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. What I was going to say about Darno is I, um, I was uh, waiting for a couple of things to get done around the house tonight, and uh, so I was I was doing some work in my basement, and I had the TV on, and the Mets hot stove show was on SNY, and I was it was Mark Carrig, and um, I forget who else was on, but I believe it was Carrig that said. That the um, one of the benefits of bringing on Glenn Sherlock, we're going to talk about it a bit, is that the team felt that Darno really struggled without a catching coach last year. That after Bob Guerin left, without having somebody to instruct him on the catching side of the game, that he felt less confident overall, and that led to his uh, offensive decline as well as his atrocious year behind the plate. Um, I don't know if I agree with that whole hog, but I feel like that could certainly have been a part of it. Um, you know, Darno is a guy who, if you look at just what the potential is, there's no reason your team wouldn't want him. You you want a, a relatively young, cost-controlled catcher who has the tools to hit 15 or 20 home runs. The problem has been, in all of his time as a Met, we've really only seen that full potential for, what, six months? Yeah. Yeah, just about. So, so yeah, it, it's uh I guess I'm still willing to give him a chance. I'm still willing to go into the next season with him being the plan A to go back to the Neil Walker talk. Uh partly because Neil Walker is back in the fold. Certainly if they bring back Cespedes uh, if they trade Bruce for something useful, you know, if the off season goes how we all kind of hope it will, then I'm much more comfortable with Darno as the starting catcher, batting eighth, right? Somebody else is the backup, uh, and and in Darno's defense, he, he he was stuck batting eighth for much of the season, and you know, once he had struggled, I get it. But early on, it was odd that, you know, he comes back 
and that's where he gets stuck. I feel like Terry Collins, in a lot of ways, has a preconceived notion about all of his players that you cannot shake him from. Like, I really think that David Wright could be batting .025, and he would be still be batting in the top five or six spots in the batting order, because that's that's where Wright bats. And I feel like for him, Darno just bats at the bottom of the order. He's not good enough to bat higher, even when all evidence displays that he's capable of that. And when he came back from the injury, there was no reason for Collins to not bat him 6th or 7th. At least to start. But, yeah. You know. Yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree. So, so we, <laughs> we've we covered the aside here. Yes, let's get to the Very meat of the well. email. <laughs> I mean, what value does Conforto bring as a trade chip? Uh, to me, it, uh, all, all of it, you know. I mean, this is the guy that if enough... <laughs> If another team wanted him, it should be, you know, it should be a case where you have to be overwhelmed. Uh, the potential to have an above-average player making the league minimum is so incredibly valuable uh, that I, I just can't, I can't see the Mets parting with him for anything other than a great, great return. And I don't know, you know, I don't know exactly what that looks like. I know we've touched on that a little bit in the last few weeks, but. I think this is a hard question to answer, too, because these trades rarely happen. Right. Like, in modern baseball, if you have a young, cost-controlled player who's already hit the major leagues and shown some success, you don't trade that guy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a, an example of that happening and i i can't not in the last five or six years at least no i mean if you traded him the day before he got called up then yeah sure, right that, ha- that right. happens all the time but guys who have come up and been as good as he was you know for everything he did in 2015 in the first month of 2016 i, I just I can't see it. I don't know. That's not exactly the question, you know. No, but, but not as realistic. But, but that, that makes it hard to figure out what his value is, right? Um, you know, what he, uh, Brad asks if he could be packaged for an MLB starting catcher. That all depends on what the package is and who the starting catcher is. You know, that I hate to sound so uh, so vague about it, but. You know, if you package him with Matt Harvey, yes, he can get a, a catcher back. Um, if you package him with Eric Campbell, that's a bit of a different story. Um, Eric Campbell, who might be playing in Japan next year, according to uh, some folks on Twitter today, could be, yeah, could be. Um, anyway, you know, I. All right, let let's let's have some fun here, Chris. Is there is there a, a a catcher in the majors right now that isn't making a ton of money and that would be a very clear upgrade over Darno, who you would trade Conforto for? Uh, let's see. Gary Sanchez, maybe? Yep, he's on my list. Uh, what's Grandal making? Let's check on that. I don't think it's absurd. Yeah, he's not he's not making much. I I don't know necessarily that I would trade Conforto for him, but guy hit twenty seven home runs this year. You know, the batting average isn't really 
high. Uh, that doesn't bother me. <laughs> you know, he, he gets on base. He hits for power. He's overall, a catcher. <laughs> right. And, and you know, the defense is good. I'm, I am definitely not saying that I would give up Conforto for him, but he's certainly a guy who's not making a ton of money yet who I think would be a clear upgrade at this point, at least as the starter. Right. You know? Um, and Darno has the kind of weird thing where he's got the reverse platoon split, which right. not a lot of hitters have, but some do. Um, and Grandal, you know, like a lot of players, he's he's not like that. He has sort of a... He has a regular platoon split, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a switch hitter, but... But he's better against righties. So yeah, uh, those two kind of come to mind, and then after that, it's just like catcher is so weird, you know? It, like JT Realmuto had a nice season, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't give up Conforto to get him, right? Uh, you know, Wilson Ramos is a free agent coming off a knee surgery, so that's not really relevant. Evan Gaddis isn't really a catcher. He's a DH, basically, at this point. Um, you know, Salvador Perez, Russell Martin. You know, that that's kind of where you're getting into the next tier of catchers that... Brian McCann? Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. he's making a fair amount of money, though. Right. Well, anyway, and he was traded today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that's <laughs> what, for, you know, for, for 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 a lot less than Michael Conforto too. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the and and man, Perez, Perez gets a lot of hype, and I, I get that he's praised within Kansas City, and he might be a really great teammate, and he hits home runs, but the overall numbers on him aren't so amazing. Um. So yeah, I think it's a very limited list. Gary Sanchez is the only catcher who I would say, sure, you know, if we, if the, if there's a trade that has those two as the main parts, do it. Uh, you know, because they're kind of at a similar point in their careers. That trade is never going to happen. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's um, you know, I, could he be traded? Could he be packaged for a catcher? Yes, I don't think it's necessarily gonna happen, nor should it happen. Now, Conforto is an interesting case, right? Because as you mentioned, Chris, his uh, his 2015 was so incredible. His first month of 2016 was incredible, and then he really struggled. And part of that was just you know young players struggle. Part of that was the Terry Collins' mismanagement, part of that was an injury. There's a lot going on there. But Brad says he's not totally sold on his true potential. Do we have an idea of what, like, what do you think Conforto's true potential is? I, I have some numbers in mind, but I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Uh, so I know not everybody probably defaults to weighted runs created plus <laughs> or OPS plus. But to, uh, I love those one, stats. So right, either one of those is sort of my go-to in terms of offensive production. Yeah, OPS so, plus is my, is my personal stat of choice in that way. Yeah, I mean they both they both essentially do the yeah. same thing. They just get there slightly differently. But either way, 
you know, I think that in terms of potential ceiling, you're looking at a guy in the 140 to 150 something range. Um, so if you're not familiar with those stats, in short, that would be somebody who's 40 or 50 percent better than the league average hitter. And, you know, that is David Wright and his his prime yeah. in his good years. And, yeah, I mean, even I, I know the like 2006 through or even five for him through eight get mentioned a lot. But 2012, 13, he was up at that level. Even 2015. Yeah. Albeit in a very abbreviated season, uh, he was in 132. You know, that's the kind of potential where you know year in and year out he's he's doing stuff that is just much better than the average hitter and is a cornerstone of the team. I think Conforto has that potential. You know, absolutely. Um, even if you knock him down to 120, that's, that's still a good that's player. It's a supremely useful player. Right. But yeah, I, I think he has the ability to be in that that tier where you're not considering him an MVP candidate. But he's a guy who everybody goes, "Oh man, you know, isn't he isn't he great? Isn't he like a really good player?" Um I'm actually I'm I'm curious to look and see. I'm going to look for a little bit of evidence before I make this comp. <laughs> but Cliff Floyd kind of comes to mind. Ooh. And and looking at what he did in, in the course of his career, you know, I'm not saying start to finish or whatever, but if you you mentioned, you know, if a guy is around 120, uh Floyd eclipsed that a few times, but you know, for his career, he's at 118. Um, he had a bunch of seasons around, you know, either just under, just over 120. That, to me, is a decent comparison. Yeah. And it's not the exact same player, but it, it you know, yeah. it's a kind of, it, that, if you told me right now that Michael Conforto has Cliff Floyd's career, that is a perfectly acceptable outcome. Absolutely. Uh so yeah, I, I I think that's sort of the baseline. I think he can do better than that. And you know, I was not over the course of the season somebody who said, "Oh, the Mets they destroyed him, they ruined his development, you know, they they mismanaged him." At a certain point, he had a ton of playing time and wasn't producing. And I don't blame them for changing their approach to how he you know, played for the rest of the season. Uh, but going into 2017 and beyond, I would really like to see him, you know, playing every day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I would say if, you, if you're looking at a guy who's going to bat between 270 and 290, give you 15 or 20 home runs, play a cromulent corner outfield that that's an incredibly valuable player yeah incredibly valuable so um while you might be able to flip him for a catcher i wouldn't personally not not that i think that there's necessarily an answer for the mets a catcher staring them in the face if darno it doesn't work out but you know 
I, I, I will, I'll, I'll take the, I'll take the risk on, on Conforto. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's a scenario where it's not just what you're doing in 2017, but what you're doing in the outfield beyond. I love Curtis Granderson. I think he's still going to be a good player next year. I think he could be a good player beyond that. But his contract is up after next year. Jay Bruce, whether he's traded or not, his contract is up after next year. You know, I, I like the idea of Brandon Nimmo. I'm certainly not giving up on him. Uh, I think he held his own this year. You know, he didn't have the kind of debut like Conforto where everybody was really excited. But, you know, he's probably not proven enough to say that's our corner outfielder if we get rid of Conforto. Right. You know, and then the, you look at what that the Mets have coming – and it's not that they don't have interesting outfielders, but they're mostly far away. Yeah. So if you were to give up Conforto now, and whether or not you trade Bruce or Granderson or what or you know, whatever else you do, you get to the end of twenty seventeen and even with Cespedes, you don't have any of those three players, you know, Conforto would obviously be gone and not coming back, and then Granderson and Bruce could leave. So yeah, it's, it, it, that's not a hole I would want to create. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you for your email, Brad. That brings us to David's email. He says, Word is the White Sox are making Adam Eaton available, and Tigers are willing to listen on J.D. Martinez offers. Would you be willing to add Conforto in a package to get one of these guys, and who would you prefer? Um, Let's start there. Everybody wants to trade Conforto. I know. Uh, would you be interested in trading Conforto for Adam Eaton or J.D. Martinez? Uh, Adam Eaton, nope. Not even remotely interested. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's unfair. But I like Eaton, but I like Conforto, too. Yeah. I mean, Eaton, it, he, he's been a pretty good player. You know, I mean, there's no denying that it's a guy who, you know, steals some bases, plays some uh, some good defense, hits some home runs. You know, kind of a, maybe like a best case Juan Lagares type. You know what we all hope Lagares can be. Um, That's fair, yeah. So yeah, I'm not. But I, I don't know. Maybe it's unfair of me. I, I know a few years ago when Hunter Pence was a free agent, I had absolutely no interest in him. In hindsight, he probably would have worked out okay. <laughs> uh, so maybe it's just sort of he, I'm holding he's on. He's so aesthetically unpleasing, though, Hunter Pence. Oh, yeah, yeah. He he totally is. Um, so with Eaton, maybe I'm just sort of holding on to old perceptions or whatever, you know, he's had a good couple of years, the past two. Um, and, and he was no, past three really, but yeah, not interested. JD Martinez, maybe, you know, I mean, that's certainly more my kind of hitter and man, you know, he's been a good one over the last three years. Um, you know, the defensive metrics are much harsher, especially this season. Um, 
And if oh, yeah, the Mets he... have one thing they'd really need, it's another defensively questionable outfielder. Right. Um. So yeah, I, I'm. I would be inclined to say no in both cases. Uh, I think Martinez could make that answer look more foolish than Eaton could. Um. But coming off of everything we just said about Conforto and what we think he might be able to do, you know, that's not something I would want to give up. If, like, if you, essentially, if you think that Conforto could be 80% of the hitter that J.D. Martinez is, I would uh, never do that deal. That's a fair way to look at it. Uh, um, the email continues. Would you be okay if we lost Cespedes? With signing Joey Batista, Jose Batista, Joey Bats to friends for uh, two to three years, or would you rather get a Franklin Gutierrez type and have a lefty outfield of Granderson, Conforto, Bruce, and a righty outfield of Gutierrez, Lagares, and Granderson? Uh, I would go with Batista in those two scenarios. Yeah. I would rather not sign Batista. Well, yeah, I mean, that would, we'd be living in a non-Cespedes world in that event. Yeah. I know that's what the question said, but I just have to reiterate how, you know, <laughs> undesirable that is. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I, did. I know it's not just Franklin Gutierrez, but, you know, Sandy Alderson last night went on WOR and kind of went over this exact kind of question. And I thought it was one of the instances, you don't hear GMs too often, and and we certainly hear Sandy Alderson more than any other GM. You know, you don't hear them too often really get into names of players in an offseason. But he named names last night. He did, yeah. So he, and, you know, I'm just paraphrasing, but he basically said there were three categories. It was Cespedes was one category, uh, other free agents who might be able to be on that tier, and he named Bautista as a potential backup plan. Uh, you know, that was another group. And then the the third group was sort of this kind of scenario, and he, he mentioned Steve Pierce, but it's the same idea. You know, the platoon guy who can really do well against left-handed pitching to complement your very otherwise left-handed hitting outfield uh, with, you know, Conforto, Granderson, Bruce. Uh, and then even if one of them traded, still your two left-handed hitting corner outfielders uh, and your left-handed Brandon Nimmo, you know, factoring in presumably if anyone's traded, right? So, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting the way he phrased it. I thought he did a pretty good job of not making any one of them sound more up their alley than the other. Yeah, but. But yeah, I would. I love the concept of a platoon. I think a properly deployed one can work well. I think it's a nice, it's a great hedge for the Mets with Walker on the team that Flores can be the guy. If, you know, a month into the season, Walker can't be a right handed hitter anymore. You know, if, that, if those games don't look real, then you cut right over to Flores playing or, you know, Reyes or TJ Rivera, however you want to play it. Uh, that could be there uh, as a backup plan. But, 
Yeah. Give me give me the right-handed ridiculous power bat, whether it's Cespedes or Bautista. Uh, give me that much, much, much over going in with a platoon as the plan. Especially because for a platoon to work, you have to have a manager who can use a platoon. And I don't have the empirical evidence I would need to be convinced that Terry Collins would properly utilize a platoon. That's a whole other story, though. Yeah. But it's a fair point. Um, yeah, I um, I like Batista. I do. But I don't think he's a great fit for the Mets due to his age, due to his limited uh, defense, and due to the fact that his name isn't Yolanda Cespedes. Right. If you take away those things, I'm uh, I'm more interested. No, I you know I, I think he's an he's an AL team's. Uh, I think he, he's a better option for an American League team right now. Um, but we'll see. Uh, thank you for your emails, as always. We have uh, two bits of connected news here. The first one is that a longtime Mets coach and member of the '86 Mets, Tim Tuffle, has been relieved of his duties as third base coach for the team and uh, has been offered a position elsewhere in the system. Before we get to his replacement, uh, do you think the odds are, are good that Tuffle is the new AAA manager, as has been rumored? Uh, yeah, sure. I, I think that could very well be the case. Um, you know, I'm, I would be a little surprised, maybe not at this point, but kind of just taking a step back generally if Pedro Lopez didn't get the shot. That's Um, fair. Yeah. But if it's Tuffle doing that, I won't be shocked. Um, are you going to miss Tuff? I'm not. He's a pretty bad third base coach. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it's one of those things. There were plenty of moments during this season that I was frustrated with his decisions on sanding runners. Yeah. Um, I think it's one of those things that, you know, if you watch your guy over the course of a season or multiple seasons. He's always terrible. Yeah, but it's – there were a couple – times this year that I went like, ooh, that didn't, you know, that didn't seem good at all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like a little more, I don't know, something about it stood out more. Maybe because the games mattered more. You know, last season we got a little spoiled because once the Mets swept the Nationals in early September, the regular season was over. You know, I mean, they they had the division locked up after that series. Um. And that you know that was only a month of the season, but this year was a reminder of what it's like when every game really matters and every game can get really stressful. Uh, so maybe you know maybe just the context of the season made it stand out more, or maybe he actually got worse. You know, and the fact that they're taking him out of that role might indicate that they thought the same thing. Um. You know, he he seems like a great guy. He seems like he certainly has useful input as a coach. Um, just perhaps not in that role. And it's such a weird thing that we've seen a general manager turn into a base coach <laughs> in the last few years. Yeah, or really in the last two. 
with Ruben Amaro going from Phillies GM to Red Sox first base coach. Right? That's not even considering uh, what's his name, Miami, who was the GM and the manager. Yes. Well, uh, yeah, that the Marlins don't. The Marlins don't, don't count. Yeah, they don't. They're not a major league baseball team. <laughs> I know they are, but, but they're they, not really. I understand. Yeah, they're not useful for the purposes of <laughs> of any conversation about baseball. No, right? Yeah, no. Um, so they, but it's weird that you've seen things like that. But when a base coach goes, he's usually like like gone. Like, oh man, like that guy sucked at coaching first or third base. Get him out of here, you know. So if Tuffle sticks around, that's a little bit different. But Mookie Wilson comes to mind where, you know, you don't see guys switch off of being that to, like, some other coaching role at the major league level. And that's kind of odd to me. You know, hiring decisions on first base coaches in particular are very – I'd, I'd be curious to see what that process actually looks like. I, I think it's pretty much, do we want to hire this guy? Um, does he have a pulse? Does he, uh, you know, can he give signals? If those two things are answered, yes, he's your first base coach. You know, I, I think one of the reasons you don't maybe don't see those guys get placed elsewhere in an organization is because unless you're sending them to be now the double-A first base coach, there's no place you can really demote them to that isn't insulting. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, what's worse than being a team's first base coach? In, in, in terms of the, the power structure, being the right. bullpen catcher? Yeah, was, that, that was going to be my answer. Dave Racanello like, yeah, has that left up. He had a, rough, he had a so. rough year telling guys to get back on pickoff moves. Yeah. Go put on some catcher's gear. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> you have to carry David Wright's PS. Was it a PS two back in the day that Racanelli used to carry? Yeah, probably. That sounds that that would cover the early part of the David Wright era. The yeah. PS two. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we bring this up because um, Tuffle was replaced by Glenn Sherlock, who was last seen as the bench coach of the Diamondbacks. And this is interesting. Has been a Diamondbacks coach since the team's inception. Yeah, that's crazy. That's a long time. Yeah. Um, it'll be 20 years. It's, it's been 18, right? This was their 18th season, I believe. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, wait, yeah. that sounds accurate. I think, I, think. Was, I think 98 was their first season. Was it? Hold on. Let's see. Almost positive because the Rockies were ninety, Rockies and Marlins were ninety three. I want to say it was five years before the uh, the the Rays and the and the D backs. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. You're right. Okay. So he was he was in that organization for a long time. Now that organization is not one of the necessarily best run organizations in baseball. So you know you don't want to say. This isn't like, you know, um, someone sticking around. Uh, what's a team without a lot of turnover? The uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. We're going to a different sport, but like, you know, the Steelers have had like six head coaches in their in their whole in their whole tenure. So there are certain teams, if you're there for a long time, it's, it bodes well for you. I don't know if the Diamondbacks have that August rep- uh, you know, reputation, 
But it's impressive that anybody can stick at a job for that long. Yeah. And uh, he was a catcher in the major leagues. He caught for the Yankees briefly, and I believe the Astros as well. Um, and uh, if he is a cromulent third base coach and can help with the catching a little bit, I am absolutely fine with this move. Yeah. Yeah, I, I you know, I think it would be tough to see downside in a move like this, but I, I don't see downside here, so... Consider me on board. Yeah. I <laughs> wish we had more to say about Glenn Sherlock, but... Yeah. I mean, we will uh, inevitably see his name on the back page of the paper at some point. <laughs> it's just too easy. Yeah. I, I keep wanting to call him Glenn Matlock, who was the pre-Sid Vicious bass player in the Sex Pistols. <laughs> but that's not his name. <laughs> and and really, if you just go one degree further with the uh, name manipulation, I guess you back to John Matlack. That is true. So I think what we've established here is a strong connection from the current third base coach back through the years of punk rock and former Mets to uh, remind us of the Kevin Bacon-ness of life. <laughs> That's not a place to wrap up on. I don't know what is. <laughs> um, next week, though, folks, we're going to be talking about our AAOPs, Amazing Avenue offseason plans. Um, we're debating getting some possibly uh, people who submitted on the show, right? We talked about that, maybe? Yeah, uh, that uh, or failing that, just, you know, us reading their plans. Maybe yeah. that, there's an episode for you. We're <laughs> going to read every AAOP verbatim. It's going to be a 36-hour podcast. <laughs> uh, that, But I'm, I'm joking. We're not really going to do that. No. We, in some way, shape, or form, um, you know, if you're listening to this over the weekend, the, uh, the entries for the contest close on uh, Monday, November 21st, 21st at 5 p.m. Uh, you got to sign up. If you haven't signed up for a username on the site previously, you have to do that at least 24 hours before. Um, preferably 25 hours before to at least give yourself an hour to post it. But, but yeah, if you're interested in entering and telling us how you would handle the off season as match GM, the, uh, the rules are all posted right on the front of the, the site, uh, just underneath the top three stories. So you can check that out. And if you do a good one, you might hear about it here on the podcast. Um, when we had talked about this initially, I had said I was I wasn't going to re-sign Cespedes or Walker to make mine interesting, but I guess I have to keep Walker in mind now, right? I can't I can't undo well, that. Well, it not, well, I think generally the assumption is that you you're starting the off season from scratch, so you can ignore things that have actually happened in real life. Uh, I think if you wanted to give Walker a QO, you now have all the evidence you need to say, in my scenario, he accepts. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Okay, that's fair. Um, so, yeah. I it, And as we do our own, I don't want to spoil next week too much, but I might have to come up with like a creative version because my my instinct one is keep Walker, keep Cespedes the end. <laughs> Like that, 
literally that's it you know maybe i'll pick another reliever or two off of the free agent board who i think can help but uh but yeah stay tuned to see if i can get creative over the next seven days Uh, it was so satisfying to hear alderson say uh steve pierce last night oh yeah because he last winter yes he he was uh part of everybody's aop last winter he was so if if uh Nothing else we've learned that... Uh, Alderson reads the site? Yes. He, he reads the fan posts. <laughs> he doesn't read what we write. He reads what you write. God help us all. All right. Well, get your AOPs in order, and we'll talk next week. fans it's time for an off season this week in sny minute i'm steve schreiber so there's a reason why we're uh recording a new this week in sny minute here on amazing avenue audio and that's because we found out uh that gary cohen is up for the ford frick award the uh the top award given out to broadcasters in baseball so congratulations to gary uh, we wanted to share one of our favorite moments uh, with Gary from this uh, past season. So we flash back to August 23rd uh, with Robert Gesellman on the hill. And uh, with Gesellman in the rotation, uh, the, the group began talking about hair care products because you have Jacob deGrom, you have Noah Syndergaard, now you have Gesellman all with the, the beautiful long flowing hair. You have to take care of it right so now with gazelman joining that staff with Syndergaard and degrom yeah i mean do they need to hire a, a, a hair care specialist uh, absolutely i mean come on it's very important with that hair that long that you mix in some good conditioner you can't go cheap on the conditioner how do you know that you never had hair that long did you no no never he had big hair though my hair would be Back like Longer I grow it, the more I look like a chia pet. What? A chia pet? It just grows straight out. It doesn't grow long. It might have it to me. Yeah. It's just—it's unmanageable. We're just jealous. I loved having long hair. <laughs> I know you did. It's been a long time. Though. You got the picture in your wallet still when you had the long hair? I do. <laughs> Why don't you break it out? <laughs> Three to the Garcia's fouled off. I think that, Gary, the fans would love to see it. I know you'd love for them to see it. Of course. Tommy Pham is on deck. It's back on your radical days. So there's Gary talking about his long hair from his Columbia days and how he has a picture of it. And so could SNY come through? Could they actually find this picture and, and show it to us? Oh, hell yeah, they did. Folks, with the Mets are ahead 6-3, to we referenced earlier that Gary had a photo in his wallet with his long hair back in his Columbia days. (laughs) Now, folks, take a look. I want to ask this question, and I'm dead serious for you women out there and your men. If your daughter brought home this man, (laughs) would you let him in the door? That's a text poll. I think he looks fantastic. <laughs> He's ready for the lead of, of Jesus Christ Superstar in the day. 
You had assessed, but it's lines a base into center field on the first pitch thrown by Alex Reyes. Well, now I've been outed. <laughs> oh, I love that picture. That's, that should uh, be a text ball. <laughs> yes, we all we all have a past that uh, that seems like it was another lifetime. Base hit, fastball in. See the differences, though, Gary. Our past is laid out there. Every single day, you see some silly picture of Keith and I. This is our first chance to get an older picture well, of you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to share that with the world. <laughs> and folks, Gary carries that around like a baseball card in his wallet. I just try to remind myself <laughs> of the life that that once existed. You know, that's what 36 years ago that that picture was taken during my senior year in college. Did you use enough conditioner, like he said? You know, I was not a Big conditioner guy, but every once in a while I'd mix it in. I had good long hair. It was, oh, it was, no, it was, it was very classic. nice, very nice long. And Beautiful. On the back of that photo, folks, it has all Gary's, uh, <laughs> you know, his, his degrees, stats, all, all the statistics. Height, <laughs> 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 <I> weight. <laughs> oh, gosh. That was one of our favorite Gary moments of the year. Um, so congratulations to Gary. Um, hopefully he wins. He absolutely deserves it. He's he's the best play-by-play -play broadcaster in all of baseball, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so hopefully the uh, the award goes to him. Uh, he absolutely 100% deserves it. So that wraps up this edition of our This Week in SNY Minute. I'm Steve Schreiber. Back to Amazing Avenue Audio. Back Mets fans, Greg Karam here again, along with Steve Saipa and our super secret special guest, who's not actually that secret, senior prospect writer for Baseball Prospectus, our old friend, Jeff Paternostro. Jeff, how you doing? I'm doing good. I got I decided to go go native this week, got my old fashioned, and I'm ready to provide content that's at least as exciting as reading off Arizona Fall League stat lines. <laughs> I, well, that you know what that means that you're listening. So you know, at least we got that going for us. I do have a bone to pick with Steve before we start. Mm -hmm. Ah, shit. We <laughs> recorded a podcast together for two years. And you never corrected me on pronouncing <laughs> your last name wrong. It's okay. I'm I'm used to it. It really doesn't bother me. I leave and I find this out like a month later. Very disappointing. If nothing else, it's if nothing else, it's comical. You know. <laughs> He was doing it. It was all just a long game for the it was one a long time. Yeah, the one laugh. That well, somebody, somebody posted in the comment section of like one of the first podcasts after you left, of one of a major league ball player that that happened to. I forget the name. It was on the Giants, though. He goes his whole like, career. Yeah, it was like uh, Jeremy Gonzalez or something like that, and everybody called him Jeffrey Gonzalez because he was too afraid to tell the veterans that they were mispronouncing his name. <laughs> so it happens. It happens. I guess at least I'm consistent between pronouncing every single person's name wrong on the podcast, co-host, prospect, or otherwise. Well, as we were saying last week, we always mispronounce these guys' names until at least they get to, like, double A. I think it, it took us years to figure out how to pronounce Gazelman. Right. Well, you know what that what happened with that? No. 
I got an email from like a family friend of a pitching coach that Gazelman worked with, mm-hmm. like just sort of thanking me for writing about him or whatever, like giving me some insight about his like off-season throwing program with Akil Morris. I don't remember if I actually ever mentioned it on the show before, but I, I wrote him back and asked him how to pronounce his name, and it's like, oh yeah, it's Selman, the G silent. <laughs> <laughs> I got bad information. <laughs> so that guy's probably been calling him the wrong name. Yeah, uh, ever since he's known him. All right. Well, speaking of Gazelman, he made your list. He did. Um, and yeah, you wrote, you started it up with an essay about Mets player, you know, p- uh, pitching prospect development, and how it's it's been what well, it's been good it's been very yeah, good it's been pretty good it's you know so that does that you got gazelleman number two on your list yep. uh so does that raise the ceiling for you at all even from here i don't think so i think there's a certain amount of extra ceiling beyond what you might have thought of him as a prospect even this year built into that like, I'm throwing a number two starter ceiling, a grade 70 roll on maybe, uh, I mean, I haven't gone all the way through yet, but it's going to be like six or seven guys in the minors. Six or seven and guys in one the minors? Them. Yeah. Oh. Probably are going to get an, uh, six or seven pitchers are going to okay. get an OFP 70, specifically a, a two starter or better roll. So it's pretty lofty praise to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I don't take that lightly, of course. Um as we've discussed on the show over the years a number of times, Greg, even, you know, a roll six, a number three starter is great. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. I do think because of what he's done in the majors from a stuff level, and I got a chat question about it too, and what it comes down to is how many guys can you throw a 70 fastball, 60 slider, 55 curve on? That's close to the majors, in the majors really, and when that, those are realistic grades. Yeah. There just aren't that many. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, he's just kind of jumped up, and now he's. It, I mean, he's a it top. Happens. We yeah. know. I wrote a thousand words about it. This is what the Mets do, and because it's already happened with Robert Gazelman and not say Thomas Zapucky yet, there's a, you know, even beyond the differences in profile there and the different horizons to major league performance, I don't think it's really hard to say that if he's not an ace going forward, when you give him forty innings of ace level pitching, whatever, we're not gonna worry about that too much just look at what how he looked that's what it comes down to it like i mentioned this sort of a little bit obliquely when i wrote about you know tj rivera in the other section with gazelman it looks right yeah and that's the thing with pitchers is you can tell a lot by the way it looks not that you know someone that came up and struggled say uh robert stevenson or um jose de leon can't get to that next level with major league reps and major league adjustments and gazelman will have to make some along the way himself um as i noted in my comment about him outside of pitching against the phillies he struggled a little bit third time through the order you know in the fifth and sixth inning and that's going to take some time to to work itself out and he might not be a number two starter next year but i think he'll be a meaningful major league contributor next year sure seems like the mess are planning on it still letting all their pitchers go (laughs) yeah well yeah he better be otherwise they're kind of shit out of luck um but yeah, taking a step. I mean, you guys, you guys watched the games. It's it, it looked yeah, good. It looked good. No, it did look good. Yeah. I mean, I was actually surprised to see that his DRA, which is I guess your guys' more advanced, uh, you know, pitching metric for ERA or whatever, 
um, didn't actually like him that much. You know, it wasn't like it, a, you know, it's a forty inning sample. Right. I'm guessing that Judge and company think he should have given up a few more home runs. Probably is my guess. Mm-hmm. I haven't really dove into the to the individual pieces of the metric. Yeah, but he's a guy. Uh, and I'm not, who and probably I'm not really won't... as good with those kind of stats as as, yeah. as Judge and Harry are. But right. He's a, he's a guy who probably won't give up a lot of home runs. I mean, he didn't give up a lot right. of home I, runs. Like I said, minors. it's 40 innings. I wouldn't read too much into yeah, that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Um, but, like, so, anyway, so so Jeff's list, list went up on Baseball Perspectives today, and so that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, he, so to look at, the, at these grades that you're dropping on these guys. You're dropping OFP and likely grades on these guys. Right. Um, just for the casual listener, like, what is the OFP like in your mind? What are you What are you saying with that? Is it like the most likely, like, uh, like you know, ninetieth percentile outcome that you think could could feasibly be achieved? So it generally gets cast as ceiling, and I don't like to use the term ceiling, and I don't strictly treat OFP like that. Ninetieth percentile outcomes probably a reasonable guesstimation um i think plausibly good outcome is the better way to phrase it i don't right. know if that gets you to 90th percentile necessarily your mileage may vary yeah, it's but it's ju- not it's not ceiling like it's anybody that says they know what the ceiling is for a player is probably engaging in a little bit of false precision I right because like how can you throw an ofp you know, how can you say a guy's ceiling who's 17 years old is a 60 when you don't even, you know, you've yeah, never but, even seen him? <laughs> and well, I'm sure we'll get to Andres Jimenez, and that yeah. was the issue with Andres Jimenez. <laughs> like, but what the? F- I don't fucking know, dude. Are you kidding me? I like, I, how am I supposed to know? Right. You're just kind of throwing it out there. Like, I've heard really good things. Right. From multiple sources. It's, I can piece together what I think the player is like. He's played in the Dominican, and flights are expensive. Yeah. Well, so anyway, so then you said you're going to be throwing about six or seven 70 OFPs out there uh, for pitchers, and then I'm sure maybe not that many more for position players, and the Mets have another one in their system, in Ahmed Rosario. So yes, that's pretty exciting. It is. There's probably a few more seven bats out there just because of the nature of pitcher attrition, and I think the the balance of the minors right now leans more to the position player than the pitcher for a couple of different reasons. I mean, a lot of pitcher graduations this year, while some of the top-tier position players just uh, snuck on to list eligibility. But yeah, if you look at the sort of the top pitching prospect, position player prospect combination, off the top of my head, I'm sure I'm probably forgetting somebody, but there's not many teams in the majors that can match those sort of top two. Yeah. And I, so, so tell us about Rosario, and and how soon do you think that he could be an impact player in the majors? Because I, it doesn't seem that far off. It doesn't, but I think he's probably going to need all of 2017 in the minors. I they'll probably start him in Vegas. I don't think it would be horrible if he started in Binghamton, but hitting 340 for a halfish of a season is probably enough to merit a promotion to AAA, I'd say. Even with the sometimes overly conservative Mets player development regime. But I want to really see him 
full season against AAA pitching, better off-speed stuff. You know, even in Vegas, and his numbers will probably be fine, whatever they are, um, in that in that hitting environment. But I really want to see him sort of have to adjust to, you know, those guys that are like 88 but can spin a breaking ball and throw a changeup. Yeah. I want to see him get reps against those guys and sort of figure it out. Because while the offensive tools took a big stride forward this year, um, and we know the glove even uh, coming into this season was very, very good at shortstop, and that gave him a pretty high floor. That hand pass still, it's like I can't, some guys make it work, and he has the bat speed and sort of the tensile wrist strength, I think, to make it work. Yeah. But he's just, I want to see him do it for, you know, 450 Longer. at bats in Vegas. Yeah. I mean, I think you'll definitely see him in September. And, hey, there's a very conceivable scenario where it's July 15th, and we're past the Super 2 deadline, and Azrubo Bill Cabrera's knee starts barking, and Rosario's the guy at that point. Like, he gets the call. That's what I was saying. Like, I think it's, I could think it could be that, that soon because it could be and it's not a big deal if it's not no it's not i mean i'm not talking i'm not saying he has to be up and he might come up and get immediately exposed against major league pitching that's that's you know that hand path that's the thing too that's fair i too. mean like i don't think he's going to be like a disaster but he might not be you know he might hit 340 for half a season when right i mean up. yeah because it is worth noting that he's done most of his damage against high a and double a where you know you're seeing guys that don't necessarily always have major league velocity and it's not you know it's there's there's other levels there's, and i think i think major league velocity will be the least of his problems i think he i think he can hit fastballs oh i that's think so not, too that's yeah. not really an issue it's going to be sort of the soft stuff the yes. spin the fade yeah yeah and that's that's true of like even like top end elite prospects and which he's one of them i mean i don't think it's spoiling anything to say he's going to be probably top 10 on our 101 and if not there just outside of it but even hitters at that level, and like the guys that haven't done it in the majors, you get like you know Benintendi and Swanson are still eligible, which kind of makes things a little more difficult. But you know, beyond guys like that, Austin Meadows is another sort of top tier hitting prospect that's close. Until they do it in the majors, you're not entirely sure. Yeah, that's fair. But hey, look, looking at him now, I mean, you got to be penciling him in as you know probably 2018 starting shortstop. That's got to be part of the plan right now. I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so moving down the list, the third uh, prospect on the list is Thomas Sapucky. I mean, is your it friend okay? and mine. Is it okay if we just read the list here? I mean, like, or I mean, we... the list it's, the list itself is free. It's above the paywall, so yeah. Oh, all right, all right. I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to take away your, you know, meal ticket here. Um, <laughs> so Zapucky yes, feed his family. Yeah, seriously. Uh, so Zapucky. So um. I'm already giving you guys an exclusive on the match list, so don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, OFP 60 on, on uh, Zapucky. He, he touches 97. I mean, we've talked about him a lot uh, offline, but uh, how excited should we be about this guy? I mean, like, where do you so think... I, so, I'll give you, I'll give you guys... I'll show you... I'll give you a peek behind the curtain, show you how the sausage is made. Mm-hmm. Right up until about 24 hours before my drop dead date, I had him as OFP 70, likely 55, and I chickened out. But <laughs> so you should be pretty excited if you want. Yeah, I, I I don't see a reason why not to be. I guess the the back injury late in the year kind of yeah. So it's you know he's a little bit so he's a little bit older than your average 2015 prep pick, for whatever that means. He's had a back issue that you know shut him down for the last month, six weeks of the. Brooklyn season is it significant I don't think so but 
it, ju- it there's just enough there. He's already a risky prospect as it is. He's already a little bit boomer bust. So I want to be, I want to err on the side of caution for now. You know, he can come out in Columbia next year and throw 120 healthy innings and you know blow past this year's report, and we'll go from there. But until that happens, I do want to not go crazy yet. Yeah, fair enough. But he's he's definitely a guy to be fairly excited about. Um, Steve, what do you think about Zapucky? I mean, we've talked about him. He, he, he's he's exciting to you, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. He's I've you know I saw him in Brooklyn, and you know him and Dunn obviously were the two I say marquee attractions there this summer. And I personally like Zapucky better than Dunn. Yeah, so let's talk about Dunn. Uh, he's he's down six on the list. Um, and what what is it about Dunn specifically that we are not? It seems like we're not excited about Dunn. Is that is that fair to say? Or I guess you know I, I do want to say that this kind of gets lost in ordinal rankings. But I could have easily the four through six is very close for me. I could have easily had, I could have very easily had done it four instead of six, which I think. Sure, people get too better, caught up in, in where... Yeah, it's, it's a better idea of sort of the gap between Zapucky and Dunn at present. You know... <sighs> but, like, everything... Every, I talked to you, Steve, I talked to you... Sure, it's just, you know, it's... But, like, it's a really good arm. Like, it's... Yeah. You can touch in the upper 90s, it's around 95. Like, those guys, even in our high-velocity era that we're in right now, don't grow on trees. There's some feel for the slider. It's just... It's so, and I I wrote him up in a ten pack after I saw him for Baseball Prospectus, and sort of the thesis idea behind that is with with guys like that in that role, where they're just throwing two or three innings at a time after a full college season, it's like evaluating a major leaguer on rehab. It's sort of so tough to figure. It's tough to figure out what they are because they're just sort of getting their work in. That's yeah. what I felt when I like when I saw Don. He was just kind of getting his work in. So it's kind of like a placeholder for now, and then he gets an off season yeah. with the team. You know, gets a little yeah. instruction, and then he comes out next year, hopefully. In, First you know, round pick, he'll probably be on the major league side in spring training. So yeah, and he's you'll probably start the year in Columbia, even though he could probably go to St. Lucie. Um, but I mean, that's, that's fine actually, by me. They're in they're in Lakewood in May, so <laughs> that's true. Uh, and also, they have uh, they have TV cameras, which is. You know, they do. Yes, it's good for us. So we can post at the black attention. hole of the Florida State League. Pay attention. So, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like we don't get anything. Like Thomas Nito, we get nothing on that guy uh, except for you know one report, and it's, yeah. it's just you, you know. And we have no idea what happened to Chris Flexen this year. I mean, no, nobody does. Nobody has any idea. <laughs> like, I was actually listening to your show. You guys were talking about putting him on the forty man, and I'm like, how do we even know? Like, I don't know. <laughs> how yeah. do we even <laughs> know? <laughs> so. So, all right, so we had some exciting arms there. I think that's it for the pitchers in the top ten. Um, it's all batters now, and I'm going to pass over Dunn for the moment, but I want to talk about Lindsay um, and kind of – I want to talk about Lindsay like side-by-side side with Wilmer Becerra, uh, who's number sure. ten on your list because – if I'm if I'm gathering it right, like these guys, these are two guys who kind of outfielders who kind of look the part. Um, sure, and two different. Two, we're casting for two different roles here, but yeah, yeah. Well, you got well. Lindsay is center fielder. Uh, Becerra, you know, the corner outfielder, uh, power guy that you you would think. Um, 
But like, is is part of what you know you see in these guys? Like, is it just their physicality, or like what else? What what kind of separates these two guys uh, in your mind? Well, some of it's going to be the ultimate major league profile. You know, if Desmond Lindsay works, he's an up the middle player, a good center fielder, can run, can hit. You know, maybe not quite average over the fence power in the majors, but you know, ten to fifteen home runs, twenty steals, good center field defense. I think he'll hit. I really like the swing. Yeah, and, and um, I mean, the risk is extreme. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to downplay that between the hamstring issues and the fact that he's, was you know, was a corner infielder in high school in the showcase circuit and is kind of learning center field on the fly, and has already lost you know significant reps there and extended and stuff like that. With Becerra, and I say this sort of in his write up, he's just a weird prospect now to me. And I got really good reports on him in the spring from like a, a scouting buddy of mine who saw him in short season and then saw him again in St. Lucie this year and like loved the approach and swing changes and thinks he p- he'll put it all together and you know you hear stuff like that and then he has a you know Louis Guillaume style ISO at that level and yeah. <laughs> now you're like what what do you do with this information because if he puts those two halves together at the plate that's a very nice right field profile yeah and and you no know, it, it's sick there there's 60 hit and 60 power in there it's just can he get to them at the same time which is and you know, a thing we don't sort of talk about. Like, There's a lot of guys with like plus hit, plus power potential, but sometimes you, as you move up the ladder, you got to sell out one to get to the other. I think Wilmer Flores is a good example of this, is a guy who became sort of power over hit tool, mm-hmm. ultimately when he got to the majors. And, of course, there was a shoulder issue that we learned about, and he had had nagging shoulder and back issues even going back into March, so maybe you just call it a lost year and hope he pops back up next year healthy and starts to put it together. It's, it's, I mean, for me, nine through about fifteen was very fluid. Yeah, I could have put a bunch of guys on the back end of that list. And for Becerra, it's just I don't know. There's something aesthetically pleasing about him to me. That's kind of what I see. Me. That's the because <laughs> like, when it, it when it when it works, it looks great. Like it just looks. It's a very like aesthetically pleasing baseball thing. That kind of corner outfield profile. He can run. He can throw. You know, there's opposite field power to the like the right center field gap. He's just he's just you know I like my predecessor Jason Parks. I'm not opposed to sort of the the beautiful teenage Dominican. Oh, he's Venezuelan. Beautiful <laughs> Venezuelan uh, teenage body in yeah. any way, shape, or form. It's See, just it's like it's like it's a nice look. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Look. It's funny you say that because like that that was my impression when I saw. It. Desmond Lindsay is like oh yeah Lindsay's a man among boys that's that was yes. that, that's why I wanted to kind of I mean, like against like college side. even last year when he got like a cup of coffee at the end of the season and granted that wasn't a great Brooklyn team but there were still a lot of like college bats from division one program on, on, program on that like squad you know guys like you know Vinny Sienna and, and God I blanked out on most of them thank God but uh <laughs> David but he just I mean he looked David Thompson sure but he just looked like a I mean, he looked like an athlete. It was just, yeah. And it, there's good and bad to that because he's kind of physically maxed out too. Like he's not very projectable. No, but it no. doesn't really matter because he's already a man. Right. Like right. You just need him to stay healthy and play a full sure. season and yeah. see what we can get out of him. But I'm I think he's a very exciting player. Like I, I love that. 
I love that profile. I mean, I think when we saw him too, he was still playing compromise and looked oh, very good doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's <laughs> he was like more six down the line and running funny and he like was running really field, funny. But it's the Mets, so of course he's on the field. Yeah, but <laughs> but he takes good at bats, and I just I love a yeah, guy no, who can it's, just it's, take a walk. It's just great. He's he's much more polished at sort of like baseball things than you'd expect given the background. Yeah, yeah. And he's another guy I could have easily put him number four. Yeah, I think I I think I do have him number four because I don't really love I don't really love Dom Smith. And uh, so look, I mean, this is going to come up inevitably. <laughs> let's uh, let's call a spade a spade here. <laughs> so I mean, look, you, you've you've come around on Dom Smith. If I if you, I mean, I literally have him half a grade higher than I had him last year. But yeah, hey, let's sure, just let's follow. No, let's just follow the narrative here. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> He's a low guy. You hate you hate Dom Smith, and now all of a so sudden he's an above average said, major league. Yes. 13th best first baseman in the major leagues is what Jeff says is possible here. I, wow. It's, 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 yeah, it's, you know. <laughs> so here's the thing. I think one of the things I've learned at you know, sort of baseball perspectives in a more national role is you have to be careful about thinking that you're the be-all and end-all on any one prospect, no matter how much you've seen them. Yeah. But I, I just, I, I do want to clarify, this is not wildly out of line with anything I've written about Dom Smith going back to Savannah at this point. I've always thought he was a, a going to make the majors and play in the majors. I just don't think he's an impact talent at first base. No. And I still don't think that's the case, but he's hitting double A. Yeah. And he's a little more of a sure thing than Lindsay and Dunn behind him. He looked so bad that one game. I, I saw him one game. I yes, see him yes, one game, and he's, t- he's swinging through 88 miles an hour. He's I just know. swinging right through. I know, Greg. Couldn't I couldn't even there foul you. it off. <laughs> I got better reports at the end of the year, um, but they weren't you know, wildly out of concert with what I've seen over the last three seasons. Um, it's you know, He can look good. I've seen him look good yeah. in, you know, Three game looks. No, and some of those games, like when he was in that hot streak, it, it was just everything was just jumping yeah. off the bat. It was, it was very. And amazing. I think there's so yeah, you got to consider context. It was a down Eastern League in general this year, especially on the pitching side. That has to. That's the problem is you always have to. It's tough to assess level of competition. Yeah. A lot of these times, like we know what Double A should look like. We're talking about like the Double A test, but it can vary from year to year. Sure. I think I was making jokes with you sort of offline about him just, like, repeatedly beating up on, like, terrible Portland and New Hampshire pitching, which is what he did for large parts of the season. Yeah. And I don't mean to downplay it. You got to you gotta hit mistakes. And, again, I think Dom Smith will be fine. I think Dom Smith's going to be their starting first baseman in 2017 in all likelihood. Steve, you got to chime in here. You got to give us your uh, your Dom Smith hot, hot take. I mean, what's your opinion on Dom Smith? I mean, nothing has been said that I don't agree with. He's probably going to be a major leaguer. He's probably going to be a kind of average, forgettable first baseman. And, you know, that's Dom Smith. I noticed that you, uh, Greg, mentioned my OFP comment, but did not mention my likely comment. (laughs) (laughs) They've been copying Dom Smith to James Loney since, like, the day he was drafted. Oh, the day he was drafted, they were comping him to Daryl Strawberry. Actually. Oh, actually, so you are right. Uh, MLB well, draft true. show. Yeah, because he's black and from California. I mean, come on. Yes, that is the reason. And left-handed, but uh, let's, yes. let's let's. <laughs> the likely role is a fifty, and a fifty, I guess, is just a average major I mean, leaguer. It's, it's like James Loney. 
Yeah, it's like James Lodi. There you go. Yeah, that's that's, <laughs> look, that's fine. That's not bad. Yeah, there's this idea that I hate John Tom Smith, which is not true. Yeah, I hate certain people that write things about Tom Smith. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> okay, hate strong too, but I like having fun with them. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's not make news on the podcast that way. <laughs> uh, but um. Yeah, all right. So we've come around on Dom Smith. We think he's going to be a good, uh, a solid major leaguer, most likely. What's his ETA? Uh, I think they've. So he's going to absolutely destroy Vegas because it's the, like it's the Wilmer Flores kind of profile where he could hit like three sixty there, and I would not be shocked at all. Yeah, because he's a high contact hitter. He can work sort of the big left center field gap there and just the numbers are going to be stupid like I know this going into into 2017 I mean there could conceivably be an opening for him pretty quickly well yeah do even that, Lucas Duda's like Lucas, is Lucas Duda's back okay I have no idea um would they go to him I think as readily as they go to Rosario I don't know I do wonder if they'd want more of a of a veteran stopgap there, or if or if something came up with Duda, would they use that as an opportunity to move one of their surplus corner outfielders to that spot to keep that bat in the lineup? Are they signing Stephen Pierce? I don't know. Right. I think I think I think Smith's ETA and theoretical role on the 2017 Mets is much more contingent on this offseason than Rosario is. I guess would be the best way to put it. Yeah. And so, last thing on Smith. What do you think about his defense at first base? I think it's solid average to above. Um, he's good around the bag, and like he's, he's good around the bag. His feet are still a little heavy, as you'd expect, um, given sort of the body type. He th- <laughs> I mean, he's good starting everything else. Yeah. He's good starting like the three six three. The arm's strong and accurate, and that goes back to his. His amateur days, where they would throw him on, they'd make him a left-handed catcher in like perfect game showcases and stuff, throw him off the mound or whatever. So the arm's good. It just, it's like it's 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 fine. He's he's very sure-handed, very soft hands. It just it doesn't like. He's not Keith Hernandez, and you know, yeah. being a plus, you know, plus five defender at first base doesn't move the needle a ton for me. If I don't think you're going to hit for power. Yeah, and he doesn't move that well. I mean, it's it's still a heavy set there yeah like he's like for for a big man which is what he is like he's he moves well but and again it's first base so it's fine right and that can go quick but he's still a young man so yeah so let's move on from there and talk about the next guy down number seven on their list is andres jimenez andres jimenez so they signed this guy last year out of the no venezuela he's out of venezuela yeah and uh, he proceed. They didn't bring him stateside, unlike Carpio and Rosario. Um, they left him in the Dominican, and he tore it up. Mm-hmm. But Ed, we had some good reports from other outlets, like uh, yep. Baseball America had good reports. Yeah, on Ben Battler loves him. So and Ben Battler knows that area better than certainly better than me, but better than just about anybody else. Right. So it, it's it's not a Vicente Lupo type situation where it, it is not. So we have oh. corroborating evidence that he might be something good. So uh, tell us a little bit about this guy. So there came a point in time when I was sort of going through drafts of this list, and he was not in the top ten. 
in earlier drafts where I just realized I, I can't keep this guy off the list. Because you got to look at data points. And he was a top... I don't know if was he... He was a top 10 international free agent in that J2 class. Yeah, I think and two, they had two guys Yeah, that were both like very highly rated. Him and Gregory Guerrero, yeah. Yeah. And I was getting good reports from... And look, you're you're. I don't want to. I'm not going to give my sources or anything. And you're you're kind of limited on the information you can get. But you got to, if you have a guy that you trust on this kind of stuff, you got to go with it. And it's, you know, he's definitely going to stick at shortstop. He has a chance to be very good there. He's a good runner, and we think he has a chance to be a plus hitter. All right. And like, and I sort of make a joke about it in the write up for him. Is if all you know about a 17 year old, he's got a chance to be a plus hitter and he's probably going to stick it short that's pretty good prospect yeah you hear all the other stuff so this is a a player profile that i am naturally attracted to anyway as we saw with louis carpio and it's not all that different i think he's not hyper toolsy you know he's not ahmed rosario as sort of the the counterpoint to carpio he's an advanced so I said, you don't want to get like, like eh, it gets kind of plays, but he's like, he's the the Venezuelan shortstop versus the Dominican shortstop. You know, the Rangers always sign these guys a lot too, and I take that as a compliment because the Rangers are very good at developing these players and they're very good at identifying these kind of players, and they're nice to have in your system. Where it's like, you know, he's very polished. He's not gonna you know, suddenly hit 340 in the Eastern League probably out of nowhere. He's not suddenly going to turn himself into a 70 runner like Rosario did. He's not that kind of fast twitch player by all accounts. He's just going to be good level by level. He's going to hit. He's probably never going to put up a stat line that's going to wow you, but don't scout the stat line. Mm-hmm. And he's just going to... At a certain point, the system isn't deep enough for me to to keep a guy that could be an above-average Major League regular at shortstop out of the top 10. Yeah, the ceiling is just different than other guys be below him it just doesn't get up to you know that kind and of and I wrote about this in my introduction to the list it's like the reason we chase upside is because you can go out and find Brandon Nimmo and, Ga- and Gavin Cicchini or the two guys behind him on the I don't want to say that this is an exaggeration but you can find those dudes as like minor league not minor league free agent but like non-rester invitees yeah, you, know, you can find fourth outfielders and fifth infielders for six, seven million on a one-year deal on the free agent market. Yeah, I mean that's you know Kelly. To Johnson. Find a guy like with him, you can't. Yeah, Kelly Johnson, great example. You know, uh, we saw what T.J. Rivera did in, in a short burst this year. Who was a you know an undrafted free agent as a college guy, you know, twenty-seven-year-old that worked his way up. The kind of guy, like Ty Kelly, the kind of guy that. You know, if T.J. Rivera hadn't been in the majors this year, might have glommed on with somebody else and become. Yeah. You can find those dudes. Not that, like, developing your own role 45 infielder or outfielder is invaluable. It is. And, you know, it makes things easier in a lot of cases. And sometimes those guys outperform their projections. It's just, you know, there's just not a lot of dudes that are role, potential role sixes. There just right. aren't. Right. I... Especially at a premium defensive position and likely to stick there. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So, do you think uh, Kingsport for him next year, and then he's just kind of? I think path? so. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm, 
I don't think it matters if they send him to the complex, but he seems like the type of profile that would end up in Kingsport. I'm just trying to think who is that. I mean, they could even push him to Brooklyn if they were particularly, if he has a good spring, a good extended spring. Yeah. I don't think there's anyone blocking him at this point without like pulling up the GCL and Kingsport rosters from last year. No, no one's coming to mind immediately. It's certainly not you know, a $1.2 million J2 signing. You're going to push that guy how you feel is appropriate for his development. Yeah. So but yeah, I think they like to kind of roll those guys out in Kingsport, I think, so I wouldn't be surprised. No, it's good. It's good to have that kind of guy in there, uh, kind of like a lottery picket, you know, lottery ticket later lower down in the system. See, you know, just kind of keeps the pipeline going, which is nice. Um, and then so the so then you just, we just mentioned Nimmo and Chikini, who are the. I'm just. They, it's like I got prospect fatigue. I'm bored with those guys. That's exactly <laughs> what I was just about to say. Like I can't. I can't do it anymore. I mean. I mean, I got. I've gotten bad reports from Chikini in fall ball, but it's like it's fall ball, and he had. He mean he was with the major league team in September, and that's a long season. So I don't want to like kill him for not looking great in fall ball. Also, it's fall ball, so. Oh, but he's been so. But it's bad. just like I mean, it's, it's like the, I don't. He can hit. I know. He can I make know. contact, but he just can't somebody, play somebody asked me in uh in my BP chat last week if like well well if he hits two seventy and can play a competent second base like that's like a fifty five regular right I'm like no that's Justin Turner and not the good Justin Turner. <laughs> yeah. Because he just he just doesn't offer anything else is the problem. Yeah, no, that's it. And then somebody else asked me as long as I'm just going to like repeat my chat answers which you can find on the website and they're archived, but. Like, well, I thought he was like a definitely gonna like a slam dunk shortstop coming out of the draft. Like, no, he was likely to stick, and he was advanced for an eighteen-year-old. The distance between that and being a major league shortstop is huge. Like, you're almost better off, you know, to bring it back to Rosario, having the physical tools that Rosario had, and not really growing into the frame and off the position like Rosario didn't than being Gavin Chikini. Because when Rosario didn't sort of turn into that corner masher that maybe some people thought coming out of the Dominican, all of a sudden he's got all these fast-switch tools at shortstop, which look pretty damn good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't don't disagree with that. I mean, it's just he hasn't gotten any better at shortstop. And if anything, he's gotten worse. (laughs) So it was like all these things that we were talking about when he was in, uh, uh, I guess, Savannah – just... Yeah, I saw him in Savannah, and I thought like he'd be okay. Like, I thought he had a shot to stick. Like, there were foibles and hiccups, but they weren't out of character for a twenty-year-old shortstop in Savannah dealing with sort of like speed of the game issues. And then I didn't see him in St. Lucie. I think he only spent the second half of the year there. That's right. And then I saw him in Binghamton, and it was just a disaster. Yeah. Well, all right. So, hopefully, I mean, Gavin Giacchini is going to play in the majors. I think he's he's got a major league future. There's a major league role there. I think he can hit a little bit. I'm just tired of talking about those dudes. Yeah, yeah. Nimmo too. Uh, probably a fourth outfielder, Brandon Nimmo. Right. Uh, I mean, people were saying that since he was drafted, and I guess I guess although this is R.I.P. Jason Parks, he was right, and I was wrong. I gotta bring had this argument for years. I gotta bring in Steve though, because Steve is higher on Nimmo than either of us. So Steve, (laughs) look, look, Steve, he's made some swing changes. The power might still come. (laughs) I I said it last year. I'll say it again. I believe in the swing changes of Brandon Nimmo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. 
I don't know. For me, I, I guess uh, I'm so high. On, I'm not so high. Yeah, I guess so high on Nemo stills because I just like the entire package. I mean, it's sure it's like, might, again, makes it's more sense. Yeah, it makes more sense to you know isolate that one plus tool, that one facet of the game that he does well, and extrapolate from there. But with Nemo, I just see everything he does. Just you know, he gets on base decently. He can Feels play like shit I was saying about Kirk Neuenheis in 2012. <laughs> that is just, very true. I was just thinking hey, Kirk, that. Yeah. Kirk had a couple of uh, timely hits here and there. Yeah, like that's... like I He's think... getting that MLB pension. He is, yes. He was on He's Hell's Kitchen He's going to get some awards probably, isn't he? He's got to be close. Close to what? An arbitration award? Oh, he's been around for a while. I just feel like that. He hit I feel, three, like, hit it, I feel like it's not an Amazing Avenue audio episode if I'm not baseball referencing something so <laughs> see what I can dig up on Kirk Neuenheis's service time I was thinking that that was an interesting cop because like as you go through this over the years then it's it, you kind of start thinking about guys that Brendan Nemo did play football past. in high school yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't uh, want to mention that but yeah jeez oh, like how many yeah but I mean the Brandon Nemo the, the Kirk played football in high school is Brandon Nimmo was from Wyoming is it's sure. the same story can't like talk about him without bringing that up he is first year ARB eligible going into 2017 wow so good for him oh probably I mean he was okay with oh my wow I mean he was basically Kirk Newenheis with Milwaukee but he got <laughs> you were about to say he, was 30, he had 392 plate appearances he played a lot he did but that's a that's the thing. It's like the Mets. The Mets are now a first division team, you know, and they had a place for him when they were not. But now that Milwaukee, so he had a 7.32 OPS against right-handed pitching and 5.26 in 43 plate appearances against lefties. So he's Kirk Newman. Good. Some things don't change. 17 strikeouts in 43 plate appearances against lefties. It's not a lot of plate appearances. But, but but there's a role for that guy. He can hit righties. He can play all three outfield positions. This is all true of Brandon Nimmo too, by the way. Yeah. Nimmo's going to get a lot of at bats this year because just right. roster attrition. But it, there is different because, because you know, be Nimmo was a Nimmo was a, a first round pick, and Newenheis was a third round pick, and there are different expectations there. So yeah, so that kind of colors how you see things. But so then I guess beyond that, I want to ask you about uh, a guy that Steve and I. I mean, Napo Krismat? No, no, <laughs> not yet. Uh, no, because Steve and I have been talking about like how to scout hitters and doing it without scouting the stat line and just kind of looking at a guy and kind of just saying, this guy's going to hit. Uh, and you have a guy in your other section here who fits that. It's going to be Ali Sanchez. It's Ali Sanchez. And I just need you to talk to me and tell me like why I should like this guy. Let me pull up my actual notes on Ali Sanchez because I'm gonna like for me there's always is I think that you should really give him a pass I guess for this year because he hurt his hand like the second or third game in yeah no and, and I know and kinda... I, I address this where catchers have to play beat up and I know the specific injury that Sanchez had is more problematic with sort of parsing this kind of stuff but So let me go through my notes. God, I saw a lot of Ali Sanchez this year, despite this... him being hurt. Oh yeah, I did, yeah I missed him that one time. But... So all right, there it's good. So the thing about him is, 
there's nothing complicated. He's very direct to the ball. So his best hitting approach is straight away to the opposite field. There's some pull side gap power. And these are all BP notes for the most part. You know, I've got some stuff in games. He's pretty good about sort of hitting pitches where they are, which at that level for that experience, I like to see. Like, he's not trying to pull everything. You'll see that a lot. He's sort of fastball the other way. He'll take through the, you know, 3.5 hole, or he'll hit it over the second baseman head. That's nice to see. And that gives you confidence. And, like, batting practice is always dangerous. So it's sort of the public evaluation sphere. I know I've had these debates before on how sort of valuable BP is, but I want to see what it looks like when it looks right. And, like, the swing just works for me. Yeah. Um, well, I, I like what you said about short to the ball. I mean, we don't like a lot yeah. of... Like, pre- he's not, like in, in the complex, I, I thought there might be a little bit more power there as he aged because he, he showed me a little thing, and that's the danger of a one-game look, too, of course which was the issue there and I don't think that's going to come necessarily so the comp and everyone's going to hate this comp I'm very good at this between comping like Thomas Zapaki to Oliver Perez and I'm going to comp uh, Ali Sanchez to Kevin Ploiecki <laughs> that'll get everybody so very like, excited like, yeah yeah <laughs> so we so we all put like average or above grades on Kevin Ploiecki's hit tool and it turned out he was a 20 <laughs> it happens <laughs> You can still get but there. it's the same kind of thing where it's like you can see it working at higher levels. And for short season guys in general, and I actually wrote about this on the Phillies list sort of uh, with Archimedes Gamboa, who's a 18-year-old shortstop in Williamsport this year. You're not looking for – I mean, that's like – you sat on these games, Greg. It's barely organized baseball. Yeah. I know I've made this joke before. I just want to see something that doesn't look out of place at even upper levels, let alone the majors. Show me like show me a flash of something that wouldn't look out of place in the majors, and Sanchez has shown that to me over the last two years. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I know he had like a five seventy OPS or whatever this year. And, no, uh, look, I, I'm just asking because I, ha- I haven't seen him, and right. So all I'm doing is looking at a stat line that that, that kind of yeah. sucks. And... and it was bad. It's like <laughs> he's one of those guys I think in the nine to fifteen range that I could have put in the top ten, but I made a joke about it in the in the write-up it's like if you do that and he doesn't hit you look like an idiot in three years and at least some of this is risk aversion now that i'm a national prospect writer yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, hedging that career risk um well it is it's like <laughs> i'm not gonna like i've sent out like finished lists of people i trust like what here is going to make me look like an idiot right for people that know these systems like oh it is like i said i can't be the be-all and end-all on any individual prospect at this point it's just very unlikely. Even guys I've seen a ton, and all of these guys on the Mets list certainly qualify at this point. Yeah. Well, all right. So uh, we've kind of gone through the whole list here. Um, so, is there anybody who didn't make your write-up that you kind of want to talk about? I'm trying to think. We're sort of the interesting dudes that didn't quite make it. <sighs> Gabriella Noah, but I've spoken at length about him on the podcast going back to I think episode 3 at this point so I don't think we need to dive too deeply there um who else I mean, Mirandi Gonzalez I've written about at BP Mets if you're really interested in my Mirandi Gonzalez takes I like him but he's a ways away Luigi Orme I don't know what to do with him after this season. I think he's just going to be Luigi Arme for a while. 
Yeah, it could be interesting if you ever started to hit a little, but yeah, it's just, it's just tough with guys that size. Yeah, as good a defender as he is. And the same is true always with Rafael Tovar too, who's the obvious comp there. Although their their profiles as shortstop are a little bit different. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so look, let's let's uh, let's wrap it up by saying like who. So this is something that we used to do on the our old minor league uh, previews or reviews or whatever. But like, tell me who's the number one prospect in the Mets system next year. That is an interesting question because Gazelman and I think. Oh, does Rosario graduate? I mean, Rosario is the chalk. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. And the chalk's boring, as we've discussed at length previously. I feel like, uh, I mean, would I be shocked? I mean, Smith might graduate too. So yeah, so it's it's you're looking at like Zapucky and Lindsay and Don. I mean, Dunn's probably the if it's not Rosario, it's probably Dunn. Yeah, if he goes to. Columbia or even the St. Lucie and you stretch him out as a starter and he has enough stuff to dominate at those levels. He's probably the easy pick. I like Lindsay. Zipaki, there might be some still developmental hiccups. Lindsay, if he can stay healthy for a full season, could be a revelation. In... He really could be. Mm. Hasn't been healthy in, in like two years, you know? I Which mean... is like... You always get those like chronic hamstring issues with like up the middle players. You're just like, Ugh. it's better than like it's a guy always... like it's better than a guy like Nimmo who came in with a torn ACL already. You know what I mean? It's like it's just a hamstring. You can figure that I out. I guess, and you always wonder about how much that's going to sap athleticism over the long term. But then I guess like a guy like Roman Quinn and the Phillies blood is Achilles and is still an eighty runner and. And, and Jose Reyes kept... had his issues with his hamstring in the early days. So right, but... sure. That's if you want to sort of hang your hat on a. <laughs> on a guy that had those issues and sort of his during his developmental period and came out of them okay, that's that's not a bad one. Yeah, that's uh, all right. I got to make a call here, don't yeah, I? Yeah, I kind of do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to be writing the list next year, so I should probably have an idea. I mean, if it's me, there's something about Zapaki where I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep I'm gonna dig in my heels, assuming he doesn't blow out. But he's a pitcher, so there's always that risk too. Sure. Um. Yeah, so I think so. So baseball perspectives, like for whatever reason, on our main like prospect page, tags a pucky as the number one prospect in the system. Accidentally, I think because of the way I, uh, because I mentioned Rosario and Gazelman in the state of the system. It just tagged like the first name on the list. It wasn't uh-huh. already tagged, which was uh, Zapucky. Uh-huh. So I'm gonna take. That's gonna be like it's a portent. I'm treating it as a portent. So we'll go with Thomas Zapucky. Zapucky. Oh, that's <laughs> totally reasonable. Steve, who would be your guy? Uh, assuming that Rosario graduates, yeah, I think that it'll be done. I like I've said earlier. I like Zapucky more than done. But I think Dunn has kind of the ex- the higher expectations, the pedigree, and I think... Um, you say that, but I'm going to be writing stupid shit about Thomas Zapucky next year, probably. <laughs> right. No, no, I, it's, it's weird. I feel... I, I like Zapucky better, but I think that Dunn will jump over him in the lists. I, I feel yeah, like I there's a difference, if that makes sense. So this is a good question for you guys. It's like a little bit outside of of the game as I call it do you think that like Zapucky has more of a national profile now despite not being a first round pick it feels like not just me but others have written him up pretty heavily this year that's tough because like I'm kind of inside the Mets bubble and yeah. I, I you know I 
I talk to you, Jared, you know, it's like, those are the people I, I, I talk to. I like, I don't really know how much he's penetrated outside beyond the sphere. I know that Keith Law has talked about him in chats and stuff like that. But like, then there's the first round pedigree of Dunn and people just, like, and I know multiple BA writers saw him this year too, in Kingsport. So people don't shed that, that first round stuff. Like they hang on to it for a long, no, a long time. It's like, definitely true. I'm like, writing about it for the Nats list. Okay. Cause it's like, like, Dom Smith had the same thing for years. It was like it's like they see, you know, some BP when he's in high school, and it's like that kind of profile like sticks with them for the next three years. It's like, uh... and I mean, it does mean something. Sort of the the joke I've made. I mean, I make this joke in the Nats list too, but I've certainly made it before. Is that you know the reason I don't do amateur coverage is on the pro side, all the hard work's been done for me already. <laughs> like, I mean, somebody saw Dom Smith and thought he was worth giving two million dollars to, and that's a data point. And the same with Justin Dunn versus Thomas Zapucky, although some sources had Zapucky higher than others, certainly. Yeah. I think I think that um I mean I know in my mind he's Zapucky's the more interesting prospect at this point, but I don't know about nationally. I think but... we're better at handling the guys that play up past their draft stock and the guys that were first round picks that are maybe a little bit underwhelming. Yeah, I guess the expectations kind of play a role in the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's worth considering. But um, so, Jeff, thanks for coming back on. Anything else uh, you want to talk about before we uh, end this thing? I think we've already gone past your usual twenty minutes. So, <laughs> <laughs> any pointers for us in our on our segments that uh, you've been listening to? You want me to update uh, you guys on your some Arizona Fall League stats? While no. I'm here? <laughs> <laughs> I got that covered. Don't worry. All right, good. Good to know. Only so much you can do, you know, on a week in, week out no, basis. I'm, trust me, I'm aware. I'm well goodness. aware. And we don't have I'm... as many hobbies as you do, so. <laughs> <laughs> I can honestly say I've never been more excited by Corey Taylor ever <laughs> than the last couple it of weeks. It was like a thing coming out of the draft, like, as I recall. There was some stuff there. I, I read something the other day that he was mid nineties, so that's actually yeah. That jives with the draft profile. He's just kind of been nicked up off and on, as I recall. Actually, real quick before, because this is this podcast is probably going to go up before the forty man stuff hits. Yeah, uh, and I realized that we're not going to be able to talk about it. And you and Jared talked about it on your show yesterday. We did. Um, I do love the forty man stuff, as uh, you know. I mean, I love that shit too. Um, so. Who were the four guys that you guys were saying were locks? You saying Rosario, um, Rosario, Molina, Nito, and Becerra. Molina, oh, I'm sure we're going to look like idiots like 24 hours after this podcast. So you think Becerra gets added? You think somebody would actually take him and put them on their 25 men? Or what am I missing? It, it depends on the the medicals, which only the Mets have, which does make it dicey. But they're going to have they have so many spots to fill at this point. It seems silly not to add him. I guess, yeah. I mean, I have him at you had him at thirty four. I had him at like thirty three. So there are a bunch of spots available. Um, I mean, I guess, I guess Walker signing the qualifying offer gets him to thirty five. Yeah, that's right. But they have plenty of room to. I mean, that still at that point leaves them. If they just add those four, leaves them one short of the max. If they want to do a roll five pick. Which they haven't seen, you know, off and on, particularly interested in. Yeah, not much love for my boy Ricky Knapp on on your show there. Oh man, <laughs> you gotta have your guy. It's, like, it's Ricky Knapp. 
but we're, it was in the context of like rule five and like that's just not the kind of profile that gets picked in rule five because yeah. it's like a fifth starter profile it's like you can't really put him in the bullpen and you guys didn't talk about phil evans at all what you don't think that we did talk about phil evans did you come did on you? man pay attention <laughs> i was doing work you know i couldn't <laughs> my issue with phil evans is if you're going to take that guy in the rule five draft you want him to be a better shortstop than phil evans oh that's right you did say that i remember that because actually, I mean, yeah. Yeah, they always, like I said, they always add some guy I don't think of. This happened. It was Jeff Walters last year. I guess Seth Lugo too. In hindsight, yeah. Um, and the year before that, it was. I remember now. All becomes a blur. Yeah, really. Uh, after a while. Uh, yeah. Who knows? Very, uh, they re-added Hansel Robles at some point after adding him and then clearing him. Oh, Keel Morris. I mean, they added him. Keel Morris. That's who it was. Yes, it was because I, I wanted Barrett over at Keel Morris because I'm Logan Brett's number one fan. Yes, right, right, right. I remember, I remember we, we we had that show. Yeah, we did. I think I also said Domingo Tapia. That didn't work out great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the minor league free agent now. Uh, oh man, whatever yeah. happened there? Um, yeah, Tommy John. Nothing. Man, they're going to come back all the way. Yeah. All right, Jeff. Well. Um, I, we've almost hit an hour, so I think we should probably wrap Sounds it up about right. so they could do another <laughs> segment on this show. Um, but th- thanks for coming back on, and you know what? You know you're welcome back anytime. And just invite me; I'm always available. All right, take care. Well, folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Make sure to go to AmazingAvenue.com to enter our AAOP contest, Amazing Avenue Off-Season Plan Contest. It's a lot of fun. We're going to talk a lot about it next week, so stay tuned for that. You can find all sorts of Mets news, analysis, anything you want about the team on AmazingAvenue.com, so check it out. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Amazing Avenue. You can follow your contributors for the show on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Our returning pal, Jeffrey Paternostro, is at Jeff Paternostro. Steve Saipa is at Steve Saipa. Greg Karam is at Greg Karam. And Steve Schreiber is at underscore Mr. Met. Uh, please go to iTunes where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Get it through the Stitcher app or your podcatcher of choice. And last but not least, you can email the show podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com and uh until next time let's go Mets